few weeks ago I was <clears throat> invited to teach on a at our association on on baptism and communion, showing folks how to do it and so on. And one guy had a question and he said, um, he said, you know, sometimes those things can take a lot of time in the in the service. On baptism, communion, whatever. He said, you know, how do you how do you make sure that doesn't reduce the opportunity that you have to preach? Well, you got, I mean, he's a legitimate crazy preacher, okay? So, you know, bear with him a little bit. I mean, he's worried about his time, all right? <laughs> you got to be one to understand it, all right? I get it. <clears throat> but I told him, I said, let it preach for you. Let, let that preach for you. And so this morning, I'm going to go ahead and preach, but I really don't have to, to be honest. The gospel has been proclaimed through what we have seen and what we have heard. Both in baptism and music, the gospel has been proclaimed. That, that we were once in need of absolute cleansing from the inside out. And because of the grace of Jesus, we've died to that old life. We've been cleansed and raised again. That's the proclamation of baptism. Luke is not a man of many words. He's kind of a quiet guy. Probably except at home when he gets a little angry. But listen, this morning Luke already preached. Because he showed us on the outside what's happened to him on the inside, that he's been made new. And that is the proclamation of baptism. Let that speak to you this morning. The, the fact that he paid it all. We heard the song. Let that speak to you this morning. You, you may not need the sermon. And I'm okay with that. You have to listen to it anyway, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> but, but, but hear what God is saying this morning. Hear the message of the gospel. Hear what Jesus has done for you. And let baptism, let the music preach this morning. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, preach to us. Not at us. We know you don't preach at us, but you preach to us. And so, Lord, we pray that we'd receive the message, the proclamation of baptism and that symbol that speaks so loudly. The words of the songs that we've sung and that we've heard and Lord, in these next few moments, we pray that you would preach and speak very clearly through your word. Help us, Lord, this morning with what may be a very difficult kind of thing. We talk about loving our enemies. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Get your bulletin. Take out the little handout for the sermon. Just play along. Okay, what you're going to see there is the title and the date and all that stuff. And then you're going to see the scripture this morning, and then you're going to see a spot where it says sermon notes. And there's a blank there. Here's what I want you to write. I want you to make your list this morning. You've already got it in your mind. You, you, you know exactly who needs to be on this list. This is a list of people that you'd rather not deal with. Okay, write your list. They're sitting next to you, cover up. Okay. <laughs> Like, don't cheat, you know, don't look on my... Okay. The people that you just say, you know what, I'd rather not deal with. I see this person in Walmart, and I duck into the freezer. Literally. You know, I, I mean, I, I go to the opposite side of the store when I see them. I mean, the, these may be folks, these may be folks that represent groups of people that, that just what they do, how they live, whatever, what they say, they, it just makes you sick. Oh, just can't stand that person, that group of people, that, what, they, what they believe in, what they stand for, whatever. Write it down, right? Seriously, play along. 
I mean, these are the types of people that you, you type out the big rant on Facebook and you're thinking, should I post that or should I not post? I mean, it's anonymous. You know, I didn't call it anybody's names. You know, I mean, these are the folks you want to rant about on Facebook. And then, you know, get all the likes and the comments and make yourself feel better. In other words, these are your enemies. These are the folks that stand opposite from you. Whether you stand opposite from them or they've just chosen to be on the opposite side. These are the folks that don't see the world the way you want them to. Your enemies. Make a list. Write them down. We're going to do something with that list later on. We're going to revisit it. And here's what I want you to do through the whole sermon. I'll give you permission not to pay attention. And for some, you're like, oh, good. Add to the list as we go through it. And as another name comes to mind, another group of folks, fill that paper up. Make your list of folks that you say, they don't see the world the way that I want them to. Get specific. Because here's the thing. According to Jesus, the people that you're going to write down on that list are a big deal. Like a really big deal. Big deal. And what he said and what he did... He, he took very seriously how his followers approached that list of people. One of his most challenging questions was on that very subject. We're in week five of eight in a series called Red Letter Questions. The questions that Jesus asked. They're in red letters in most of your versions, so they're red letter questions. How clever. Red letter questions. The questions that Jesus asked, he asked them for very specific purposes. He was so wise and so understanding and knew, knew the hearts of people. And he would ask very directed questions about this or about that. And he wanted to stop them in their tracks and make them think. And I hope, and my, my prayer is this for us today, that those same questions that he asked so long ago to his disciples, to the crowds, whatever, to the Pharisees, that they would stop us as well. And the question that he'll talk about today refers to, to the depth of your love. How deep really is your love? And I hope that question arrests us, stops us, makes us stop and think. And honestly, my prayer is that it makes us repent. That we see our sin in response to his question and we leave here having repented and left that stuff in the hands of Jesus, been cleansed from all of that, and we walk out with a fresh and new perspective. So turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. There are some things that if you're honest with yourself, as you've read the Bible maybe in the past, that you really wish weren't there. Why did he have to put that in there? No. Maybe, maybe you say, you know, I wish, I wish Jesus just hadn't taught on this. I mean, if he had just not said anything, maybe I can make the argument of silence that he didn't care about this. And so this honestly is one of those things that we probably in some ways wish were not in the Bible. Luke chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 27 to 36. Look at what he says in verse 27, something that you probably wish was not in the Bible, but I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Hold on right there for just a second. This is either a parallel 
a, a repeated Luke's version of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, or he taught this at another time and he's just teaching the same thing. But, but this parallels the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, you probably have seen this. When Jesus said, you've heard it said... You, you, this is what's been handed down to you. Your teachers have told you that you're supposed to love your neighbors, but it's okay to hate your enemies. He said, that's what's been passed down to you. Now, just so you know, that's not in the Old Testament. You should love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Love your neighbors there. But it had been passed down that the opposite of that just makes sense. Well, love your neighbor, and I guess that means hate your enemy. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, you've heard that that's kind of the thing to do, that that's what's passed down to you, but I tell you something different. I'm going to reiterate, he says, what it really means to love your neighbor. Hating our enemies comes very naturally. You were hesitant at first and reluctant to be honest in church and write down that person's name on that list. But it comes very naturally for you to live in opposition. Hatred even of that person, that group, those folks, whomever it is that you may have on your list. It comes very naturally. In fact, it makes sense. It makes sense that you would, you would absolutely have disdain for people who are enemies of yours. Well, I mean, after all, they're an enemy. Kind of goes with the territory. It makes sense. And honestly, hating those folks and despising them or ignoring them or dismissing them or talking poorly of them, that's what everybody expects you to do. And nobody will say anything to you about it if that's what you're doing except one person. Do you know his name? Jesus. Nobody's going to say anything to you. You've got that list. You go on hating them. You go on treating them however you want to. You go on dismissing, ignoring, whatever, ranting about them. Nobody is going to say anything to you. They're going to reinforce it. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. I feel the same way you do about it. And, oh, you're so right. Nobody's going to say a word except the only word that matters. That's why we don't like this. That's why this is hard. Jesus, uh, if you haven't noticed, always has a different idea than what comes naturally to us. His ideas are always counterintuitive. Well, that doesn't exactly make sense at first. And they're always, always, always countercultural. Not going to be supported by everybody. He says, I tell you, love your enemies. He talks about, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, I tell you, you know, you've heard love your neighbor, and absolutely you should. Now, when you think of that, as we kind of build toward loving enemies, maybe when you think of loving your neighbor, you think of your neighbor as the person who kind of looks out when you're gone, hey, I'm going to be out of town this week, or, you know, would you set out my trash for me? Just keep an eye out, you know, if you see anything suspicious, you know, give me a call or whatever. Maybe that's who you think of, you know, the person that you talk across the fence to, or, or whatever, that you'd help, and they, they, would, they would return it. But if you know anything about the life and teaching of Jesus, you know those aren't the neighbors that he was talking about when he taught. In fact, when he was questioned about who is my neighbor, when he said in response to the question, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, he says, and then secondly, love your neighbor. And the person responds, well, okay, well, who is my neighbor? Who really do I have to love? Do you know what he responded with? The parable of what? The good Samaritan, which to the Jews would have immediately flown all over them. The idea of a good Samaritan. You realize that racially and religiously they hated each other. Jesus says your neighbor is that person that you hate and that's who you are to love and to do good toward. 
So the idea of loving your neighbor as Jesus taught was not just some warm feeling that you shake the hand of the old guy next door across the fence. It was an enemy. So we're going to move through these verses, keeping this command in mind. Love your enemies. The word love there is put in what's called the imperative, which means it's a command, and it's the imperfect, which means it's to keep on going and going and going and going. It doesn't stop. So you say, okay, at what point do I have to stop doing this? Never. Okay? Just get it out there up front. Never. Do I really have to do this? Yes. Does does this really matter to God? Yes. And if you're one of those people that thinks the words of Jesus somehow matter more in the Scripture than the rest of it, which they don't, it's all the Word of God from Himself, but this is in red letters. Love your enemies. Now stop for a second and consider how crazy that sounds. And just how crazy it really is when you see it. I, I, wanna, I want you to, in your sermon notes there, maybe just make a little list. And you've, you're hopefully building on your other list. But, but just write the word who. Who are we talking about? Okay, And add to this list of people as, as we go through it. Jesus is going to list them out. Look at verse 27. Love your enemies. Do good to what? To those who hate you. Those who are opposed to you. Those who don't like you. Now, I know that we've got so many friendly people here. There's no possible way that anybody here is disliked by someone else. Except when I look around, I think, you know what? I'm not sure that person likes this person. They're here. What's going on? There there are folks, aren't they, that are out there that don't like you. For whatever reason. I didn't do anything to them. Well, maybe you didn't. Maybe they just don't like you. I don't understand why they don't like me. I've always thought I was a pretty nice guy. There's some folks who don't like me. I don't know. I didn't do anything specifically to try to make them not like me, but you know what? They don't. It's just the way it is. Those who hate you, those who oppose you. Then he goes on, so that's part of it. Here's the who, those who hate you. He says, bless those who what? Who curse you. Those are the ones that say things about you. Not only do they not like you, but they're letting other people know. They're trying to build a coalition. They, 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 you're the person they rant about on Facebook anonymously. You know, I mean, they, they are saying something to you. I mean, they'll talk to you and so on, and then, you know, behind your back, they'll say, now, you know, I don't know if you know who they are, but let me tell you a little bit about them, just so you know. Let me kind of fill you in a little bit. I mean, they seem nice, but let me tell you who they really are. Those who curse you. And then he says, pray for those who mistreat you. Those are the ones that, that, that are a threat in some way to you. I mean, they, they are proactive in their disdain. They are saying not only things, but they're doing things that could harm you in some way. And then he goes on. He gives an example. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. These are folks that abuse you. Now, in this case, it was physical abuse. It was someone who got mad enough to hit another person. You may not have experienced that, but this is also, of course, it can be anything like emotional emotional or verbal abuse in some way. Those people that, that, that abuse you. And then he says, if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks from you, and from the one who takes away your things, don't ask for them back. I mean, these are people that take advantage of your kindness. You're just being a nice person, and it's not enough for them. They they don't care at all. There's no thanks. There's no repayment. 
There's no, well, let me do something for you in return. There's, you know, there's none of that. It is simply, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and you just so happen to be the one right now who gets steamrolled, and hey, you contributed, so what? They don't return what you give them, and they don't return, they don't do good to you for the good you've done to them. It says, the one who takes away your things, don't ask for them back. Give to everyone who asks for them. There's no return on this whatsoever. In verse 35, God says, uh, Jesus says this, Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is gracious to who? The ungrateful and the evil. Who's He talking about? He's talking about people that don't know the Lord. Your list may include those who hate you, those who curse you, those who mistreat you, those who abuse you, those who take advantage of your kindness, those who don't return what you give them, those who don't do good to you, and those who don't know the Lord. Those are the evil and unrighteous, the irreligious. And they're enemies for a variety of reasons, maybe because of what you believe. Maybe it's your fault. You've done something. You said something you wish you hadn't. And now you can't repair that relationship. And you wish you could, but they won't have anything to do with it. They despise you now because of that. Maybe you don't even know. Maybe it's something that happened a long, long time ago, and and they won't let it go. Good grief, that was 40 years ago. Really? Are we still mad? Man, it must be tough to wake up like that every day. You know, you just want to say to them, can we just make this right? I'm sorry. But they won't. The truth is, some people are just difficult. I mean, some people are just hard to deal with. They just don't like anybody. You ever know anybody like that? Don't hit them. I mean, you don't elbow them. They just don't like people. But the truth is, the reason for the animosity, for the enmity, it does not matter. Why? Because the command remains the same. Love your enemies. might be somebody that you live with. It might be somebody you work with. It might be somebody you go to church with. Might be groups or people that are opposed to your beliefs, your values, your convictions. Add to your list. Write them all down. Who is it that would consider you an enemy or that you consider an enemy? It's not hard to find them. In fact, I learned very early that enemies are the folks wearing the opposite uniform. I've got an old high school teammate here today and we used to wear the same uniform. We'd line up against Butler High School or St. Xavier High School, and they, there was no doubt, they were our enemies, period, plain and simple. And it didn't really matter if I liked everybody on my team. We're wearing the same uniform. We're ready to go to battle right now. You hit one of my guys, we're going to hit one of your guys. That's just the way that it was. I learned from an early age that, you know what, as long as I'm wearing the same uniform as these folks, we're friends. You're wearing a different uniform. I don't care if we're friends off the field. Right now, we are mortal enemies. I'm coming after you. The the truth of of that illustration, I think, applies in life, too. We look around and we say, that person's not wearing the same uniform I'm wearing. I mean, they, they don't have the same values. They don't think the same. They don't look the same. They don't live in the same place. They're not from the same place. They don't see the world the way I do, and so there's something different about them, and so they naturally then are my enemy. They're wearing a different uniform. And we would say about one particular group, well, you know, I know what we're supposed to do is to love the sinner and, and hate the sin. And can I just be pastorally honest for just a second? Most of the time we say that it's total garbage. 
at least for me, I mean, I just admit it to you. It's just garbage. We don't mean it. All we mean is, you know what, they're doing something I don't like, and I know I'm supposed to love them in the name of Jesus, but I'm not going to be around them in any way. I'm not going to deal with them at all. I'm just going to pretend like they don't exist. And if I can't see them, they can't see me, maybe they'll just go away. The love that Jesus is talking about for even those folks whose lives are anything but godly is not just the avoidance of doing something bad to them. It's more than that. Now, identifying those folks is the easy part. The hard part is, what do we do now? Jesus said what in verse 27? Love. The word he used there is agape, God kind of love, unconditional. Love that is in action. Love that is even devoid, if we need it to be, of emotion, but we do it anyway. Love doesn't have to feel like love in order to love. Those of you that have been married for any length of time, you know that. Sometimes I don't feel like I love you right now, but I don't want to really want to love you, that's for sure, you know. You know, I mean, that's the way that it is. Jesus is talking about that intentional choice kind of love that is active, even if feelings aren't there. He says, love your enemies, and then he says, do good. He says, do good, not just avoid doing bad things, not just delete that rant on Facebook, but as far as it is within your power, do good to those who hate you. This is why this stuff, I'm just telling you, this is a sermon that that I don't like to preach because I have to to try to wrestle with it and all that stuff. And and I realize that there are probably some folks that are just tuning out. I don't want to hear this one. Do good to those who hate you. Not just the avoidance of something bad, but doing good. And then he says, bless those who curse you. <laughs> what? I don't know about you, but somebody starts laying into me, the last thing on my mind is saying something nice to them. Bless. That word means to speak well of, to praise, or to act kindly toward And then he says, pray for those who mistreat you. Dear God, kill them, please. Now, just, or, you know, not that kind of prayer, okay? No, it's just, I know, you know, okay. He says, pray. Pray for their salvation, for their repentance, for their greatest good. Pray, pray for them. Verse 30, he says, if anyone... 29, rather, strikes you on the cheek, offer the other. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Forgive, he says. Forgive, wipe the slate clean. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks from you. And from one who takes away your things, don't ask for them back. Expect nothing in return. You want to talk about how deep is your love? Start contemplating these things. How readily do you forgive? How much do you expect in return? Then he goes on in verse 35. Love your enemies, do what is good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is what? Gracious. The word grace, I was talking with some friends last week on the way out of church. Grace means that we give what is not deserved. Your enemies deserve absolutely nothing from you. But it says here, God is gracious, and we are to be known as and recognized as children of the Most High. Who do what the Father does, we are to be gracious, to give what is not deserved. And then what does he say? Verse 36, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. To have mercy is to not give what is deserved. Give what is not deserved and don't give what is deserved. That's grace and that's mercy. Why is all of this so difficult? 
You struggle with it. I struggle with it. Anybody who's a Christian would say, oh, I just love my, my, my neighbors. Uh, and I tolerate my enemies. And how, Why is this difficult? Sometimes we simply don't agree with God. We, we don't agree that every person, no matter how vile and evil they are to us, has value and inherent worth in His eyes. Well, you know, I have more value because they're just so whatever. Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't have to love them because, you know, I mean, have I told you what they're like? Sometimes we don't agree with God. I mean, honestly, we just don't like it. It, it, it doesn't get us what we think we want or we deserve. Sometimes we think that in order to love somebody, well, I guess that means I have to condone and agree with what they're doing. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't condone or agree with sin ever, 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 ever for a second. And yet even in our secularized, ungodly kind of world that we live in, when people want to talk about the greatest example of love, where do they go? Jesus. They don't understand him. They, they, they misconstrue what he said and what he did. But he is still the greatest example of love. And never for a second did he get on board with anybody's sin. What do they always tell people? Go and what? Sin no more. The truth is, we might disagree with folks, but the command still remains that we must love and we must do so proactively. Sometimes I think as Christians, as evangelical Christians in particular, we, we think that maybe our job is to simply to confront and to oppose and to convert people. When at the core, our job is to love. Maybe we think we're letting people get away with something. You're not going to dishonor my God, and I'm going to show you real quick. Let God defend Himself. We forget that Jesus, who being all-powerful, submitted Himself, Philippians tells us, humbled Himself to death, even death on a cross. I could stand and preach about all kinds of sins that are out there somewhere. And we, boy, we'd get excited. You, you go get them. Go get them. They need to hear it. They ain't here. Noticed? We're here. When I preach on the sin, and let me make very clear that I believe since it was a command, if we don't do it, it's a sin. When I preach on the sin of not loving our enemies, oh, I'm not sure I want to go back to that place anymore. Okay. Both front rows are going to be empty next week. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not, I, I, well, we get offended a little bit. I'll tell you this, though. If you apply what Jesus is saying in a meaningful way in your life, it will challenge you to your core and it will change your heart. It will make you more like Him. You will absolutely understand God's grace and His mercy more in your life and then be more readily willing to extend it to other people. It will change your life. This, this truth has the power to change your life. You don't want to be changed and just tune out. If you want to, then lean into what Jesus is talking about this morning. Some folks, of course, try to find a way around all of this. But let's not do that. We know what we're supposed to do, and then Jesus gives us the why. Verse 32, he says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? 
Even sinners love those who love them, the ungodly. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. What he's saying is, it's easy and probably not very deep to simply love the people, treat the people well, get along with the people who love, treat you well, and get along with you. He said, what, is, what are you doing? What kind, of, what kind of credit is that in your account? Oh, I've really done something, is what he's saying. You hear the, hear the sarcasm in his voice? You know, you almost picture him kind of going on a tangent and say, hey, Peter, you know, it, it's, oh, you, you love these folks that, that really, well, they're on board with what you do. Hey, oh, you're doing, really doing something. Good job, buddy. Way to go. You almost hear the sarcasm in his voice. You're not doing anything, he says. Your love isn't very deep if you only love those who loved you first or love you in return. That's what he's telling them. So why do we do this? Well, we, we do it because it's obedience to the Lord. He, he commanded it. And then he says in verse 35, Love your enemies, do what is good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Now let me clear something up real quick. We don't do these things in order to become children of God. We do these things because we are the children of God. Understand the difference. Don't walk away here thinking, well, I'm just going to be nice to people, and I guess that God will, will be okay with me. No, no, no. God's okay with you so long as you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. So long as you've given your life, surrendered completely to Jesus, and been, been forgiven through, through His grace alone, God's cool with you. Understand that. We do this as an extension of our relationship with Him because He says, He is gracious. Be merciful just like He is. So, you know what? I do. I want to reveal myself. I want... I want the confidence that comes of having assurance of salvation. And one of the ways that you can gain greater assurance of salvation is letting Jesus work on your heart in such a way that you begin to love people that you could never love before. You want to talk about, do I know Jesus? Let me tell you what's happened in my heart. Let me tell you what's happened to me. I now love people that I never loved before. There's some assurance of salvation. You reveal yourself as a child of God. How do you do that then? Look at verse 31. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. Let me, let me, let me encapsulate this in, in one simple term this morning. One little phrase. Leaving here today with that list. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand and read everybody's name. No, I'm not. <laughs> making sure you're still awake. All right. You take your list and you ask yourself, how deep is my love? And then you put into practice this little phrase that comes from what Jesus said. Go and do for others. Do for the people on that list what Jesus has done for you. You say, you don't know who they're talking about. No, I don't. I don't. You talk to God about it. You ask the Lord for wisdom. And begin to do for the people on that list what Jesus has done for you. Ask yourself very intentionally this morning, am I loving only the people that love me? Or has Jesus so changed my heart that His miraculous love is now flowing through me for people that I really don't like? They're on my list. Are you actively, intentionally finding ways to love those people that are on that list? And so, let me, let me just put it into terms like this. When you encounter it this week, in this moment, in this text message, 
in this conversation, in this social media post, in this attitude, in this pain, in this hurt, in this response, how will I love this person who stands opposite from me right now? How will I apply what God has told me? How deep will my love be? Will it be only on the surface and that I can only love people who love me back? Or will it be so deep that I will look at the cross of Jesus Christ and I will say, look at what He did for me when I hated Him. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, while we were still sinners, far away from God, He demonstrated His love and went to the cross and He died for us. The truth is, all of this is insane apart from the cross of Christ. It's insane. It makes no sense. It's astonishing. And it's also impossible apart from new life in Christ. You can't manufacture this. You cannot do it. Only a heart that's been changed by Jesus can love enemies. Because He's the only one who did it perfectly. So this morning, would you simply wrestle with it? God, where am I on this? Has my heart been changed? Lord, do you have my heart? Have I surrendered my life to you? Do I truly believe? And Lord, help me to do what is insane apart from you. What is impossible apart from you. And that is to proactively love the people on that list. I'll tell you, there is true freedom and peace and power and strength that results from the Holy Spirit living in you and empowering you to do things like love your enemies. There's nothing like it. What needs to be your response today? I told you, I, I'm praying that, that, we, that we repent this morning. Myself included. We repent of the sin of not loving our enemies. And we begin the process of doing for others, whatever that may mean in that moment, doing for others what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray together. Spend some time with the Lord this morning, the next few moments. I know it's, it's hard to swallow. Maybe you've got to wrestle with it a little bit. That's okay. Don't do anything as a response to what I've preached, but what you've heard from God. And maybe it is time to repent. Maybe once and for all to say, Lord, I've never given you my life. I've never come to the point of repentance, faith in Jesus, and today's the day. Or, Lord, it's maybe time for me to repent of this very specific sin that's been called out. Repent and be transformed. Let Jesus change your heart. Open up to Him today. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word, for it being proclaimed today through our songs, through baptism, through the sermon. And, Lord, may we Respond today to your word as we close out our time. Lead us, Lord, to repentance. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin and the cleansing that you promise. Make us new. Make us different. Help us, Lord, to love our enemies just as you have loved us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's close with a song. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus
Glad you're here this morning. Good to see you as always. Want to share with you a card that we received from uh, Daniel and Kelly on their uh, upcoming wedding and the wedding shower. Daniel and I would like to thank everyone for the wonderful gifts that we received at our bridal tea. It's a tea, I'm sorry. And the, and the women uh, on mission for hosting it. We're so thankful for a wonderful, loving church and church family that makes us feel loved and at home. And that's the way the church ought to be, absolutely. So we're excited about that. And I do want to say thank you personally. Uh, for your prayers and uh, for your support through the passing of my grandfather in the last week or so. And many of you had asked, I was able to preach the funeral on Thursday night. And I told somebody earlier, there was a very specific moment where I felt that the Holy Spirit was beginning to strengthen me in ways that I needed it.